You tell me, I, I talk a lot, so you just tell me whatever you want from me. Nah, brother, that's, you know, that's fine. I'm just so appreciative of your time and I'm, I'm going to try and not get too excited from the sound of your voice. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> um, all right, man. Like if you wanted to, you know, in a nutshell, um, give us a, give us a little lowdown of what you do and what you spend your time with and, um, and all that, all that jazz. Yeah. So it's uh, what I do is it's interesting. I, I guess most people probably know me um, as a photographer and an educator. Um, so my first sort of, I would say, successful career was in photography and then teaching people how to take pictures. So I do a lot of online education around that. It's kind of what I've been doing for the past decade. And on the side, I was, well, I've been studying and I've been studying psychology for about 20 years. A lot of, wow. a big part of my education in photography is actually around the subject of psychology. Um, so the professionals that know me that, that follow like our professional education kind of already knew that, but publicly, I don't really talk about it that much. And, uh, for the past five years, I started a research project that ended up in a book on, it's essentially a framework of how to, what a healthy long-term relationship looks like. And, uh, that book led to a partnership with a doctor of psychology and a professor. And then we launched this new platform that's completely away from it called 12 week relationships. And it's basically just a platform on how do you create better relationships? Like what do healthy relationships actually look like? Mm -hmm. So one part of it is the podcast and kind of our online content for that. And the other side of it is actually coaching. Wow. So what do healthy relationships look like? That is a, a fantastic question. It's one yeah. that I asked myself many, many times. <laughs> yeah. So in, in a nutshell, you know, I would say that, so my research over the past five years was design a, design a framework for that because I got so fed up with the, say, I, I personally went through a, a very difficult marriage for 14 years and I kept asking towards the end, I kept asking counselors that same question. I thought, I think in the time of our marriage, I met with like 30 different professionals on the subject. And I started just asking, what does a healthy relationship even look like? And nobody could answer the question. I thought that's stupid. Like that's really dumb. So to answer your question, it is the framework that I designed is basically one part desire. And there's five pieces inside of that. And one part sustainability. And there's five pieces inside of that. And desire is your want for a relationship, meaning like whether you're creating a new relationship or whether you're talking about an existing one, you have to want the relationship. You have to have that desire. Mm -hmm. So there's five pieces there that create the desire. And then on the sustainability side, that's how much energy it takes to maintain a relationship. And so in a nutshell, your desire or the benefit of that relationship has to outweigh the cost of maintaining it. And inside of sustainability, there's five pieces as well. So those two things essentially have to be in balance for a long-term relationship. Mm, makes total sense. Does, would you would you say that works um, the same for platonic relationships or is this just romantic relationships? No. So that was my thesis. My thesis was that every relationship was actually identical, wow. that there are nuances within, you know, romantic relationships, mainly being intimacy and sex and the, the intimacy of the, uh, sorry, the intensity of the relationship is ratcheted up, but that the by and large, the framework is identical. And that I think we're confusing, you know, the idea that one thing is another thing and is another thing it, it's, it's wrong that these are all identical. In fact, if you look at a long-term marriage, 
five years in, 10 years in, it looks more akin, at least a healthy one looks more like a friendship, a very close and intimate friendship than it does early day romance, like where it's just hot and heavy and passionate. Wow. It's funny, right? Because everyone jumps into that side. And then when that size dwindles, it's like, all right, chuck it, put it in the bin, carry on, start afresh with someone else, go, you know, kind of go again, rinse and repeat, rather than, oh, are we actually building a foundation? Or are we just up in cloud nine at the moment messing around? That's yeah. really, that's really, really interesting. And it's really interesting how it bridges over from romantic to platonic. However, once you've laid it out like that, it makes complete sense. Yeah, that's what's fascinating about romantic relationships is that, you know, intimacy and sex, it's, uh, it's as powerful as any drug you can find. I mean, it yeah, hits yeah. the exact same receptors. There's plenty of studies that kind of revolve around this, this topic and, and taking away like when you break off an early romantic relationship that's in the height of that, you experience a very real withdrawal of, of that relationship. Because again, it is literally a drug. It is the love drug. And so when you strip that all away and you see what's under the surface, you begin to see, okay, every relationship is actually identical. And the nuances of like, why is it that we work on, you know, because I, I get a lot of questions like, well, how can you say that? I mean, you know, we work on our marriages, we don't work on our friendships. And I go, well, actually, you probably would let your marriages go just like you let your friendships go if it weren't for that piece of paper, if it weren't for the social attachment to this idea of marriage, you wouldn't work on it. Just like how with a friendship, if you start to get distance, you know, you start to realize that you don't have that much in common. You kind of just let the relationship drop away. Nobody ever goes to like friendship therapy. The only reason that we treat marriage differently is because it's marriage. The only reason we treat romantic relationship differently is because we have this social training, this idea that we need to work on it and work at it. But none of us know what we're working at. None of us know what we're actually supposed to be doing. So that was the purpose of 12-week relationships was to create an actual framework that showed for the first time what a healthy relationship looked like and then to build a therapy model around that as opposed to the other way around. Right now, everything is symptomatic. So if you go to traditional counseling or traditional psychotherapy, it's the medical model. It's a symptomatic model. Come in, tell me what you're, you know, what issues you're having. You know, the, the way that we work through this is to actually talk about it, to sit down and to resolve it. Well, the science actually shows that the more you talk about a relationship, the worse it actually gets. So it's, it's kind of flipping the medical model on its head and saying, you know what, that's actually backwards. Wow. How, how so? How, how would it make it worse by, by talking about it? Well, so we'll see in, in our research and, and case studies, right? We have, we've collected over, well, I collected over 500 of these. Now with my partnership, we're going to be nearing the, the thousand mark soon. Wow. So in, in each of these, let's say, for example, the, uh, the, the, let's talk about a couple, cause it's most likely going to be a couple that comes in for counseling or therapy or whatever it might be. Right. And one person is saying something along the lines of, um, you are never present. I mean, even when you're at home, you're not really here. I feel like you're completely, you're just away. You're thinking about your work. You're thinking about your business. You're thinking about all these other things. You're not here for me. You're not here for our family. Okay. The other side of that would be, how can you say that? Are you kidding me? I'm here all the time. I'm literally, and I'm, I'm even right here right now. I'm trying to make this work. So what the medical model and what the typical counselor might do is say, okay, so you're addressing how you feel about something. Let's talk about the way you're discussing those things. 
We want to avoid things like always and never, because those are absolutes. So as soon as you say that, it makes him or her defensive, right? And they're going to fight back and they're not going to realize the actual point. And what they're asking for here is for more time. But I feel like I'm, I, I am giving more time. No, but are you really, you know, engaged with that time? Think about it for a minute. Okay. Well, yeah, I feel like we could do maybe a few other things. And they play out this scenario where basically they're only addressing symptomatic issues, meaning like the way that they're fighting, the words that they're fighting and saying, that's not the problem. And so they'll sit here and talk about it. And maybe one person will change the way that they say things. Maybe the other person will speak what's on their mind and get something off their chest, but they're tiptoeing around the actual root cause and they never actually get to it. So it's much like, you know, you're in, in the gym and fitness world. It's, it's a lot like taking a painkiller when in reality, you need physical therapy In reality, the underlying muscle has damaged. The tissue is damaged. And the person's telling you just, you know, take this, take this painkiller. It's going to fix it. Well, yeah, it fixes it for a time, but then the, the root cause just like come back up to the surface within a few hours. Right. Mm -hmm. So couples will actually feel better when they leave a therapy session because it's a venting session. It's a session where they get to, you know, go into all these things in front of this person that essentially becomes like their judge. They're not supposed to, but the counselor often turns into the judge. And then within a day or two, they just go right back into it. So it creates like this subscription service model for therapy, which therapy never should be that it, it, it should solve things, but it's not solving. It's acting like a painkiller. Mm, I think that's a really, really important point of one venting and then two that subscription theory like yeah i mean as a business Terrible. model it's 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 brilliant right but as terms of like people and actually quote unquote curing problems and fixing them like it's it's awful like it doesn't do anything right it kind of puts a band-aid on a broken leg and be like come back when you need that band-aid change it yeah as a business it's fantastic i mean statistics on this the average couple who seeks therapy, they're going to go for five years. They're going to spend well over $50,000. 80% of them are going to end up in the exact same place. So imagine Fuck. having spent the money, having spent the time and 80% of you will see no positive benefit and will still end up unhappy or divorced. It's, it's worse than never going at all because the statistical likelihood of just being successful in it is, is so unlikely that the time and money spent. And that's why people have such a negative viewpoint on therapy and on counseling, because they can anecdotally speak of so many examples where two people that they know, or they saw therapy and it did nothing. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to just go and talk about things because that does nothing. And they're right. They're right. That just talking about it does nothing. It's exactly the same in the gym, man. You know, people come in, pay the subscription, either don't turn up or when they turn up, it's half-assed. And then when they leave the gym, they're still in the bad habits. It's exactly the same, but in just two different modalities. It's it's quite funny how human behavior uh, kind of bites us in the ass. Even though, but, yeah. you know, we, we know what's going on. We just don't want to do do the work. Well, and in the gym, if you wanted to, if you, if you really want to give somebody a, a lifestyle change, it is just that, right? You, you, you don't teach people how to diet. You teach people how to change their nutritional mm -hmm. lifestyle. You don't teach people, you know, to work out, you teach them to actually change their belief set behind working out that no, you are an athlete. No, you are this. You're not, you're not a fat person that's trying to get healthy. You are a healthy person who is currently 
has kind of let go of themselves or has not been taking care of yourself, mm -hmm. but you change the underlying belief and the underlying value system. And that's how you get to like long-term actual positive change. And it's the same thing in this, uh, you know, counseling and therapy model when it comes to relationships, um, the, the underlying values that are, that are causing the problems are never being addressed. And so we developed a format, we call it core value focused therapy. And that's the process that we've trademarked and developed but it's therapy that's rooted around core values. So the first thing that we actually do when, when two people come in or when one person comes in is we work to actually understand and uncover those values. And that takes four or five sessions by itself. Then from there, we build a roadmap and we teach them, okay, this is the structure of a healthy relationship. This is why things are going the way they are. And within 12 weeks, hence the name of the program, within 12 weeks, we can send them on their way and say, look, if you wanna come back for maintenance, cool. If you want to come back for additional ideas and thoughts, great. But otherwise we want to send you away as kind of your own relationship expert, not, not bring you in just to put you on a lifetime subscription. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely brilliant, man. You know, cause a lot of, a lot of people would put their business hat on in your shoes and be like, no, 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 I need to keep these people and keep them coming in and out through the door. Right. So then the business can, can thrive. But at the end of the day that we live in a, we live in a world with like nearly 8 billion people your business is going to yeah. be fine. You know, if you send one couple, which is two people, right. And they don't come back. That's that it's two people out of nearly 8 billion. Like you're going to be all right. Yeah. If, if we're seeing the same people years on end, we have failed, you know, in, in, in our mindset, mm -hmm. um, you know, subscribe to Netflix, subscribe to HBO, subscribe to stuff. That's actually fun to subscribe to. Don't subscribe to some, it's not necessarily fun to go to your to counseling or to therapy, don't subscribe to stuff that just sucks. Like mm -hmm. I subscribe to jujitsu. So that, that hey, is in nice. and of itself something that sucks. So, but I love the suck of, of jujitsu, but yeah, in general, it, it, we don't want to subscribe to stuff like this. Mm. So what would you say are some of the key areas where people kind of lack that ends up breaking relationships down those like core values? Where would you, where would you say people uh, drop the ball on? Well, most of the time it's that people don't understand what their actual core values are. So yeah. if I asked you, what would you say are your core values? How would you respond, Alex? Um, I'd say, Just you know, name one of them, maybe respect, respect. Okay. So what does that mean to you? Respect, um, respect in our own individuality. Okay. And can you describe a little more about what that is? Is that the respect that I show you or is that the respect you show someone or is that, what is that? Uh, more um, towards individuals. So myself towards you, you to, towards me, it's flowing respect with, we're showing respect to one another, where we've been, where we've come from, all the experiences that have kind of created into this human being in front of us. So why is that important to you? Um. Honestly, upbringing was very harsh, turmoil. Mm -hmm. You come through or a lot of people come through a lot of things and I'm definitely one of them. And that usually molds people into the person that they are today. And I know that is exactly the point for me is all that stuff. I wouldn't go back and change any of it because that is why I am the man I am today. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is that the, the underlying, like 
we would all very quickly answer the question of like, what is one of your core values with a single word, right? Like respect. But in reality, what you're really saying is that we all have value. You're saying that it is the summation of our experiences that make us who we are. And that is valuable. And you look upon people with that sense of value and the way that you show it is through respect. And so you might say respect is your core value, but it's not your core value is the way that you see other human beings. Like you're, you're, you're seeing the background, the experiences, and you see value in that you see, we can, we can come with any word for it, but respect wouldn't be enough because that same value would translate into everything that you do. Right. Mm. So you could take, this simplification and say respect, but in reality, I'll bet that this is the exact driver. So respect isn't enough because I'm going to say this, the reason why you love this podcast and why you've done 200 of them is what you just said right now. We all have a background. We all have a story and you value that story. So that core value driver is actually driving you not only in your relationships, but it's also driving you in your personal life. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. And I can also list off your triggers just right off the bat. So from that, if I came, if I, if I was someone that came up to you and said, Alex, dude, why would you park there? I mean, do you know who I am? I mean, you're just a scrub. Like, why would you park in my parking spot? That would probably set you off. If I came to you and was like, dude, who the fuck are you anyway? Hmm. Are you serious? I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to know much about you other than that single core value to know exactly how to set you off. Hmm. Because as soon as I go against that underlying value, then you're instantly going to lose your regard for me. And by the way, regard is the top piece of desire. That central piece of wanting a relationship is your regard for somebody. And if you don't hold someone in high regard, you're not going to want the relationship. So if I did anything disrespectful to you or that you perceived that way at the start of a relationship, you would immediately shut off. Mm. So would those statements be accurate so far? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. So that's from understanding one of your core values. And most people would have three to five of these, and there's only 10 to 20 of them. We might come up with different words for these things, but there's only from our research, 10 to 20 total values. We're still like looking to see like, can we uncover more? But most of them fall into these basic categories. And so we might use 20, 30, 40, 50 different words to describe the exact same thing, but we're talking about the exact same underlying value. Mm, mm. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I definitely, I am definitely guilty of, of reacting like that in the past, 100%. Um, and that yeah. is kind of weird because that would, that is the reason why it would trigger me because I would think back to how I would react, which would then piss me off. Right. Exactly. And it's kind of like a, a snowball effect rather than a, I'm start, I'm ready to throw fists. It's like, no, no, that's how I would have reacted. I'm pissed that I would have reacted that way. So now I'm pissed now. It's uh it's, it's a weird, weird dynamic. Well, that's exactly what a, what a trigger is, right? So a trigger is this thing that it's, it's tied to your core values and your core, your core values developed through the experiences that you talked about earlier. These experiences, when you were young, that's what shaped your, your, your value system and, and what you believe. And so when someone triggers you, what they're doing is actually making you relive something, usually something negative in the past. Totally, and yeah. so you pull the anger from the past to present day. Now, mm -hmm. 
in reality, me telling you to fuck off or, or me not showing you respect doesn't really deserve you to, you know, go and punch me in the face or whatever yeah. it might be. But that's what a trigger does is it, it, it brings up the past resentment, the past anger, and it causes an overreaction to what's happening in front of us today. But the thing is that I've only known you for 20 minutes. So should I be able to do that in 20 minutes? Should I be able to know this much about you? Mm. Not usually, right? Mm. And that's the purpose of actually uncovering these core value drivers, because within a matter of hours, a, a trained therapist in core value focused therapy, they could actually uncover every single piece of who you are, spell out exactly why you react to certain things, and then give you a roadmap, not only on how you can improve your relationship with yourself, but with your friends, with your, your loved ones, with the person that you're married to everything. And that therapy shouldn't begin until that is understood. Mm. Oh yeah. You've got to understand the jigsaw pieces before you start putting them together. Right. You got to know what picture yes. you're trying to make. You know, if I'm trying to make a seaside and you're trying to make a seesaw, like it's not going to make any sense. You know, we're going to create two different pictures that makes that makes sense in my head for sure of understanding yeah. who you are. Let's um, I kind of go down the philosophy route and I'm a little bit spiritual too. So I go down that route, but I also have a lot of respect for, for every single domain in on the planet. Right. And take a lot from, from psychology and, and all this type of stuff. Um, but the question of who am I mm -hmm. or who are you and, and all that, is something that I'll meditate over quite a lot and think about and strip it down. And I think it changes day to day, right? So do you think people need to, do you think people need to reassess these core values every X amount of years? Or do you think, no, no, that's it. It's set in stone. That's your framework. That's your roadmap. It's not going to change. They're, they're not set in stone. So basically what you have um, to give a few more ideas, right? So we talked about, in the want for a relationship, you have the top pieces is regard. The second piece would be like reward. So you need to hold somebody in high regard. You need to have a sense of reward from being in a relationship with them. So we call, we call these the five R's of desire. And then on the other side, we have sustainability. We call them the five C's of sustainability, the top being core values. As soon as those core values are not in alignment, you're going to start damaging all the components on the desire side. So your regard for someone mm -hmm. is damaged. The reward you take from the relationship is damaged everything. So when we talk about repairing a relationship, we actually never work on the desire side. This is a byproduct of a healthy relationship is wanting the relationship. We actually work on the sustainability side, starting with core values, but those core values will actually shift. And we describe another piece of the five C's is change and growth, right? So over time in sustainability, we all change and we all grow core values. They actually start as very basic things. You, have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy? Yes. This is a psychology 101 concept, right? That, that your first base set of needs is, is physiological. You need to survive. You need food. You need air. You need shelter, clothing. You need to be able to provide for your family. And it's not the same struggle that we had, you know, a couple hundred years ago when we were just trying not to get eaten, but it is still a struggle of survival when we're first going to college and trying to figure out our first jobs and, and all that stuff. And at the same time, we kind of work our way into this uh, emotional need. We want to feel loved. We want to feel accepted, right? That's kind of moving up the hierarchy until you get to 
esteem and, and valuing myself. And then eventually to uh, self-actualization where you're trying to be your best self. So your values change and grow through every one of these steps. Now, once you're self-actualizing, your values kind of just evolve. They don't really change as much as they used to, but they will continue to evolve through that small everyday kind of 1% changes that you just experience as you get up, you go to work, you do your stuff, you have different experiences that kind of shift those, those values, right? But if you look at all the things that we might be critical of, let's say, for example, a gold digger, right? What is a gold digger? Well, it's a person that basically their value is rooted around, they're stuck in survival mode. These are people that have trauma probably built around the fact that they grew up in a, in a, in a poor home environment, neighborhood. They probably were, were constantly worried about the roof over the head, the food on their table. They were brought into the working process when they were young, because maybe their parents or, or a single parent couldn't afford it. These are people that have been dealing with this challenge of survival for a very long time. So they've created a value around their trauma, which is survival. So what you're looking at when you see a gold digger is someone that has an overvaluation of money because that's not something that they have. And it's something that they has been, you know, scarce to them. And so they'll do anything for it. They'll create relationships for it because, well, that's where their, their, their trauma lies, right? So you can build these values around anything, but eventually when that person does have money, like a gold digger marries, right? And then he or she, whoever it might be, eventually down the road has an affair. Why is that? I mean, at the beginning, all you wanted was to be taken care of. Why did you have an affair down the road? Because once that basic need was provided for, then you went to a different set of values. Well, I want to feel loved and I want to feel acceptance and I want to gain this and, and I want to feel good about myself and my husband or my wife doesn't do that for me. Well, you didn't require them to, when you first got married, all that you needed, all that you valued was money. Mm -hmm. So as we take care of each of these basic needs, we start to want or require different things from our relationships, our values shift. Now, one of the big ones that we encounter all the time is, is esteem, right? Like this, my personal worth, my value. We often get into marriages, we get into relationships, whatever it might be, because the other person provides this sense of self-esteem, this confidence for us, right? But then with time, we evolve and we begin to grow and we eventually get to a place where we no longer need someone else to provide that for us. We are comfortable enough in our own skin and our own identity that we're good. And now we just want to grow as a human, whatever that might be, we start to self-actualize. Then these people look at their partner and they go, you don't help me to grow anymore. You don't help me as a person in doing the things that I want to do. And I'm no longer interested in this. Now they don't necessarily piece it together. Like they actually understand it. They just look and go, I'm bored, or yeah. this isn't as fun as it used to be or whatever it might be, but they no longer need the other person to provide them with a sense of self-esteem or self-worth. They can do that on their own. Now, now they want the other person to tie into their values, but they don't because that person has differing values. So they just start losing regard for that person. What was the linchpin of desire? Regard. You lose all that regard. You start looking down upon that person. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm married to you. Sometimes people say it. Sometimes they just think it. Sometimes they just roll their eyes, but they start showing contempt in these relationships because those values have been, well, 
because their values don't align. And because what was once something that they needed from the relationship, they don't need anymore. They can provide for themselves. So they're looking beyond that. What else can you provide? Oh, you can't. Mm. I think that the concept of your core values evolving rather than changing is a really, really powerful thing to think about. Mm-hmm. You know, because we all grow through life. That's that's the point, right? We, you know, change is the only constant in life. That is that is the whole point of being here. But we're evolving through it rather than complete polar opposites, flipping here, there, and everywhere, bouncing off the walls, because then you would be destroying all your relationships rather than Correct. growing them and being like, okay, I'm growing as an individual. Now I need to reassess and then communicate with the other person in said partnership. Yeah. We also have these weird ideas around this stuff, right? We hear a lot of advice and cliche things that are thrown around like, oh, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. He just changed. Well, like you said, change is a a law, right? It's a universal law. That's the only constant. So that can't be the reason that we're not friends anymore, or I'm no longer the same person I've changed. There's some truth to it and that your values can change, but the truth is change and growth actually feeds desire. So on the other side of this equation, right? You look at change and growth on one side, on the other side is something we call risk. Risk is the unknown. It's the adventure component of desire. What makes something exciting? What makes it fun? Change and growth is how you feed it. So if two people are changing and growing, then they should be sharing those new discoveries and the things that they're doing with each other each day or each time they have a chance to catch up. And that actually feeds the relationship with something new. And when one person isn't changing, when one person is just stuck in routine and patterns and doing the same thing over and over, you begin to have something that's boring and stale. And they wonder, well, where is the love gone? Where is the romance gone? But it's even the same in friendships. All of what we're talking about is the exact same in your friendships, in a business partnership, in a family relationship. We just have a different sense of attachment to each of these relationships, right? But in friendship, you can think of friends that no longer, or maybe they didn't change and grow at the same pace that you did. And you kind of just got bored of the relationship. Like there's nothing to talk about. They're just, you know, old friends from Manchester. We had cool history, but they're not really doing anything crazy that I want to be doing. We just don't have anything to talk about. Right. Yep. That's that factor there. So the, the change you're basically the idea here is either you're changing and growing together. And if you're not, then you're going the other way. You're changing and growing apart. Mm. What would you say, in your opinion, would happen if they drastically change apart rather than just yeah. slowly going away? They just bang. That that actually can happen. It's not common, but there can be dramatic. So you can have a massive shifts and change in growth overnight with traumatic experiences, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about like my mommy or daddy not doing this. I'm talking about like a literally something traumatic. So let's say you're your plane almost crashes and all of a sudden you thought you're going to be dead, but you're, you're alive or you go to war and, and you watched a brother and sister die right in front of you. Um, you know, that kind of severe traumatic experience can actually shift someone's core values overnight, um, where they can wake up and like see the world completely differently. And in those instances, there'll be like a, a changing of guard in their entire set of relationships because, the, the old doesn't fit the new essentially, but that's, that's a little bit more of a response to trauma essentially. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull out an example here because this was definitely 
something I've lived out in the past. I've been that guy who was kind of stuck in his ways, right? Mm -hmm. Because mentally I was, think, stuck in the past, right? So I was still having a fist fight with that trauma. I was still punching away at those demons, but wasn't growing from it, right? I was mm -hmm. just kind of stood on a treadmill rather than going for a walk outside, right? Sure. Um, and the individual next to me was was growing growing throughout. How would you help this, we'll say, couple with one person who's stuck and one person who's continuously growing? Well, the first thing that we do is, so after we've laid out those core values and after they both have an understanding, then we start explaining how a healthy relationship works. Mm -hmm. And it becomes very easy to spell out what's going to happen in the relationship. So we say, look, uh, you can continue doing the things that you're doing, but this is the way this framework works. And if this person is changing and growing and you are not, I want you to imagine this. So imagine basically running a marathon together and you know, this is a fun idea. You both want to do this. It's 25 miles. You're, you're stoked about it. And for the first five miles, you kind of both keep up with each other and you're going at each other's paces and you're having a good time and talking. And it's just this enjoyable experience. Well, at mile five, you begin to notice that you maybe haven't been training as well as your partner has. And your partner starts to take away a little bit, like kind of, you know, gain on you, but you know, they slow down a bit because they don't want to leave you behind, but you don't want them to slow down. So you encourage them to keep running. I'll catch up. I'll catch up to you. Don't worry. I'll catch up when you rest. And so your partner kind of keeps running forward at a different pace than you. And maybe it's not a big deal for the next one or two miles because over the next one or two miles, they've only gained, you know, maybe 400, 500 feet. So you can still kind of shout back and forth and be like, Hey, I can still see you. And, but your communication is now a lot more distant and the messages that you share and what you can communicate to each other becomes a lot more simplified than when you were standing next to each other. Right. Mm. Well, by mile 20, you're now miles apart. In fact, you might be back at mile 15 when they're closer to mile 23. Mm. And now there is no communication between the two of you because you are both in completely different places on this journey. And even after completing the race, let's say that one person finishes the race and the other person has to quit at mile 17 because of fatigue. They can't relay the experience to one another because they had two completely different experiences. In fact, one person might even feel guilty for sharing their success. And, you know, I can't believe it. I still beat a personal record. I still, I still did this, even though we were kind of going slow. They can't say that to you, the person that didn't finish the race, because they would feel bad. They would feel guilty. So instead they hold those wins and they hold those changes, and those personal growth back because they don't want to further demoralize the other person. And the other person can't really talk about anything other than their failure because they're fixed on it. So now one person has this very joyful moment, this experience, but they can't even share that experience with their partner because their partner is stuck in this loss and this failure this entire time. And it becomes this way across every aspect of the relationship, where when we bring this to a relationship, we're not in the same place to be able to communicate. And the more wins and the more change and the more growth that one person has, the more that they have to cover up because the other person isn't. Mm. And so the other person has a choice. I can either hang back and suffocate myself and not grow, or I can go and move on. But what we fail to recognize is that the person that's not changing and growing also has a choice. 
if they were to see and be able to pull themselves out of the situation for a moment, just to understand what's happening, if they could see the bigger picture of where this goes, then they might be able to actually make a decision to help them get to a place where they can catch up. But it's on that person to make those changes, to catch up. Yeah. I think that example was perfect. You know, that hit a massive gong in my head and was like, Oh, penny drop moment. Like, so so true and i i completely believe that it is on the the person who is lagging behind too i think the communication needs to be open and the channel needs to be flowing you know but it's it's definitely hard when one person has got the blinkers on and is is quite shut out and or shut everybody else out and they're shut into themselves and it's like no no everything kind of go away between these two lines and someone else yeah. is committed to the growth right that's that's a really really hard dynamic and it's a hard dynamic in everything, whether it is business, romantic, platonic, you know, acquaintance, you know, it's that I can literally pull out examples from all of those and be like, yeah, man, that was a really tough situation. I've been on both sides of the, of the story, you know, and um, I think it does go, come down to the individual. Like sometimes, you know, people get to the destination. Let's be honest. We're all going to end up in the same place. Right. Mm -hmm but people get to the destination at different speeds. And also throughout the journey, we, we kind of travel our path at, at, at different speeds, you know, like some people chill on level two for a while and they go level three, level four, other people are already up to level 60 and they're like rocketing ahead and they're completely committed to the growth and they're growing and changing and everything's beautiful, but it's kind of difficult when you add in that whole, romantic kind of dynamic kind of intertwines into this relationship, right. Of like one person is super on this growth track and the other person is kind of like a, a tortoise rather than the hare. Yeah. And, and to pull back even from the romantic side to like, let's say just a friendship, right. If you are, you know, this is why people kind of, you've heard things like, successful people want to hang out with successful people. And, and we all kind of formulate these groups of like-minded individuals in this, because if you take friends from your past and let's say that these friends are stuck and they can't get out of it. Um, and let's say that you're, you're super successful in your business and everything that you're doing, you're very much limited with what you can talk about among your friends. I mean, what could you potentially say to them that they aren't going to perceive as you know, oh, this is just Alex bragging. He's just talking about how awesome he is again. And you're literally like, no, I just, I want to celebrate some of my wins with you guys. And I want to share these things and I want to grow together, but you can't because they're not on the same wavelength. And so, yeah, when, when, when you're not changing and growing together, you're, you're growing apart and it doesn't matter whether one person is stagnant or whether they're just moving slower. If you're not matching pace, you're growing apart, just like the marathon runners, right? So Yes, it, it kind of works in, in each of these contexts. And it's the reason why that we'll feel like we don't have that much to talk about when we're with people who haven't matched where we're, where we're trying to go to. And what you said is, is great. Like, I, I mean, I, I firmly believe that we're all getting to the same place in the sense of in the ground, like all of us are <laughs> going to end up in the ground. That's, yeah. that's where we're all going as far as the destination goes. But as far as while we're living, our destinations aren't the same. And, mm. and some of us, you know, some, sometimes the, the first step is like, how do you get motivated just to get moving, right? To start changing and growing. And 
And usually that first step is, is some sort of kind of peer based motivation. This person's doing this. And so I better do this, right? You kind of follow along. That's stage one. Stage two is competition. Okay. Now, now Johnny and Timmy are doing this and I'm going to one-up them. I'm going to compete. And that's the kind of the second evolution of this change in growth. Well, it starts to get really scary when you're no longer competing with anybody except you, when you're competing just against the person that you were yesterday, then you start going leaps and bounds. And I got to this place when I was like 27, 28, where I start realizing I've exceeded most of the goals that my friends had. I need to do something different. What if I just made this about me and my, my core value of personal growth became, I, I no longer need to grow to prove myself to anybody else. I, I need to grow because I want to be better than I was yesterday. Mm. That's a scary place because now you're going at a pace that is to everybody else is, is, is unrivaled, but to you, you're just trying to be better than you were yesterday. And this is where you get freaks of nature, like David Goggins, who's literally like, I, I'm not competing with anybody. I'm just trying to be better than I was yesterday. Well, you take 30 years of trying to be better than he was yesterday. And then you get a monster out of it. Right. But you can do it in any arena in your life. And the important thing is that when you expect a relationship to be close, the more your values have to be in alignment. So if you want to be casual friends with somebody, not a big deal. You have one value, two that are in alignment, you're totally fine. But as you expect that to become a good friendship, you need more. As you expect it to become a best friendship, you need to be closely aligned. If you expect to be married to the person or doing business, you need to have full alignment because otherwise you can't, you can't continue this pace together. One of you is going to get left behind. Mm, that personal growth and competing with the guy yesterday or the lady yesterday, that is super important, super, super important. Like, you know, it, it gets rid of this um, uh, comparison game that a lot of people get stuck in, right? And then that usually starts affecting people and then they, they spin, spin their wheels like a hamster rather than, yeah. oh, okay. I was here, I'm going to move the chess piece forward and then I'm going to move it forward Then I'm going to move it forward. And because I moved it twice and now I've got to move it three times and four times and keep going and keep going. I think you can, like you said, you can create a monster. I think you can create a very dangerous individual in a good way. I don't mean that in a negative. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, like David Gong's a monster in a good way, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, you know, you, you'll look back and be like, wow, how, how did I do that? You know, yeah. and that's just you and you, that's just the person in the mirror. Right. Yeah. But you have to imagine like when you're that person and, and you need to understand this about yourself, right? Because if you're going to go into a marriage and you expect to be able to share the experiences with the other person, let's say you are, um, you know, a David Goggins, not him per se, but a person like him, you are, uh, or, or let's just say my, my personal, one of my core values, one of the my highest kind of core values is personal growth. This just, I want to be the best version of myself. And I have to be with somebody that can match that, that is trying to be the best version of themselves. And I was in something for 14 years where that's not the case, where we didn't share those values. And, and that's exactly where you, you end up being is you, not only do you slow yourself down, not only do you try to, you know, help the other person and keep the other person going, but when the other person isn't wanting to help themselves when they don't share the same values, it doesn't work. And there's no amount of slowing down, no amount of helping that you can do to, to change them. They have to do this on their own. So what you end up having is just this relationship where two people can't relate to one another. 
when you can't relate, when there's no regard, when there's no reward, then, and this is relating is another R of desire, right? When there's no relatability between you, what do you talk about? When there's no reward in the relationship, because I'm trying to grow and you're still stuck back on, you know, stage one, there's nothing that we can do together that feeds me. Everything that we do together is me feeding you. That's not sustainable. Just like running a business that always never generates a profit is not sustainable. You can't farm and eat more food than you actually farm. But we do it in our relationships. We, we burn our own fire to keep someone else warm. It mm. doesn't work. You blow my that's mind a, because that's a famous quote from, do you know who it's from? I forget her name. Oh, I have it in one of my, when she wrote it or when I read it, I was like, man, that is the perfect description. Um, you can find it pretty easily looking it up, but you can't, you can't burn your fire to keep someone else warm. I did a video on it recently. And I was like, this is the perfect example, a perfect way to think about what it is to try to change somebody or try to make them something that they're not, or try to feed the relationship on your own. Uh, it just is not sustainable. Wow. So if someone wanted to embark on this journey, right, but they weren't going to go see someone or, or pay for any services, they just wanted to kind of have the conversation with themselves to get the ball rolling, right, to start lining up the domino pieces before they knock it all down. Like, what would you advise people do? Well, I would say look at the things that motive, like look at the things that you do in your free time, right, who you are. What are your hobbies? What are your interests? And I would start asking the whys behind each of those. And you're going to keep asking why until you actually get to an underlying core value driver. We did this for you with that. You, you, and what will we say that we landed on? I mean, you, you started with respect and what we really landed on was that. Well, value. It's like value in human beings. People, right? Yeah. Yeah. You see value in human, in the human experience, right? Yeah. Um, and so what are some of the other things that you do? Well, you're at the gym, you, your, your first thing is fitness and, and that, but why, why is that? Why were those, why were you drawn to it? Um, you know, it started off, I played sport and then it was also my coping mechanism for, for all the stuff going on upstairs. You know, that was, that was my escape, my escapism, my church, so to speak. Okay. And if you can, I mean, I don't, I don't want to push you to get, no, no, man, you, you can ask a question, this. but, but what about sports gave you that escape? I mean, why specifically? Cause you could escape with anything, right? You could escape with painting. You could escape with, you know, uh, music. Why mm -hmm. specifically sports? Um, I, I have zero natural talent. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to agree with that. Well, recently I come I came to the realization with a conversation with me, mom, uh, my natural talent is being an empath, right? But as a kid and the situations that wasn't really, I didn't really know about that. So at the time I was like, I got zero natural talent. Like I'm fucking dyslexic as hell. I read four books by the age of uh, 22, you know, I was on extra English. I couldn't draw, you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, what, what can I do? Oh, I can work hard at something. I'm like, all right, yeah. well, if I work hard at something, I can probably better myself, right? And then we're in a situation where it was just me and my mom. Um, I was a larger kid, um, you know, I was a little bit 
chubby around the outside. So I had a little bit of weight. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like if I just train really fucking hard, then I'm probably going to be a little bit stronger than other people. Um, and I can dominate in my chosen sport, which is rugby. And then I can then use that to then benefit and elevate where me and my mother were at the time. So I was trying to, obviously, everyone everyone growing up as a kid, right, wants to go play pro ball, whatever ball that is, they want to go pro. Um, you know, it didn't work, but it got me from A to B rather than from A to Z. So that was the, that was okay, the reason. So let me go into that a little bit deeper then. So yeah, go. would it... Were there, would it be safe to say that you had experiences in this childhood and this upbringing that made you feel powerless? Oh, 100%. That made you feel like, fear. Fear, like fear is, is the epitome word. That is, that is everything. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind again. Okay. So the reason why you went to sports, specifically rugby, weight training, gym, you have another value there and that's <laughs> strength and power. So the, the trauma that you experienced when you were younger made you develop a, a belief and value set based around the idea that, well, if I'm strong and powerful, then I'm never going to be put in that position again. Mm -hmm. Nobody will have the power over me. No one will have the ability. And if I can overcome this, if I have the strength to do this, then I can overcome anything. And all of this ties together. So why did music not, it, it's not because you're talentless because I can guarantee that you're not, I know that you're not just from talking to you. It's because music doesn't solve that need. Neither does painting, neither does anything else for, for someone who's empathetic, who wants to not ever be in a position where they are fearful and afraid and made to feel less than they are or powerless. They are going to gravitate towards athletics mm. because it teaches them strength. It teaches them mindset. It teaches them the ability to be uncompromisable. And so that's what you found in specifically that, which means that again, if I were to be your therapist or if I were to be, and I'm not, but I'm, I'm saying if I were to coach somebody with this, I'm not going to say to you and your spouse that you guys want to get closer together. You guys should just, um, you know, go pick up a new music instrument and start learning together. Cause that's not going to tie to who you are, to your values. I would say if she's into fitness and strength and power is one of your things, I would say, look, have you guys tried like a martial art together? I know this is kind of a crazy idea, but first it's going to get you incredibly fit, which is what she loves. And second, it's going to give you that strength and power and that, that, that ability just to know and to carry yourself in a way it's so much discipline and mindset. So I could actually suggest activities that would tie to both of your values and tying back to what your question was, was if someone doesn't have the money or, or the capability to go into a program like this, and I, I would say first they should check out the book, but the book is not released yet. It's written, but we're just holding on to it as we kind of grow the platform. We want to continue getting more data and refining and, and then release it maybe next year or so. So in the meantime, you can go and you can look through each of these things that you're doing and try to understand the why behind it. And for you, this strength and power, this value is important because I'm going to say this, Alex. I would guarantee that your closest friends also exemplify strength and power. Would I be wrong? No, you're not wrong. That is correct. Okay. Would I also be correct in saying that you have a, you probably struggle to maintain a high sense of regard for somebody who you find as mentally weak. They are unable to kind of overcome this thing and they stay stuck in this rut. Yes. 
Okay. And you probably let go of the relationships in your life of those friends who couldn't overcome, who couldn't get to a place where in your mind, it's like, dude, you just got to do it. Stop mm -hmm. talking, do it. I mean, I've, you know, you do what you can to help these people. Right. But ultimately you can take a horse to water and you can't make it drink. And if it's not drinking, yes, I have definitely been like, look, man, I'm going to go do my thing. You know where I am if you need help, but I'm going to have to take some distance now. You know what I mean? Like, because this is then draining on me. Yeah. You're see, that's the thing is that you grew up empathetically, right? Which again, goes back to when we talked about respect, your, your core value, Alex, there is not necessarily respect. Um, it's kindness. Mm. It's, it's understanding that each person has a story and oh, understanding yeah, totally. that the first response is, is always kindness, right? So again, you have three or four of these core values that are driving everything that you're doing. And so you can be kind and you can respond in a kind manner. But the truth is that even with that kindness and trying to lead someone to water, if they don't drink from it, if they choose not to do, if they can't overcome that weakness, that strength, you'll be there for them, but at a distance because they, they can't, they can't be close to you. They don't share your value set. Mm. So in the person that you find as a romantic partner or in the person that you look for as a business partner or in a best friend, you have to make sure that these values are in alignment. They need to value strength and power. They need to value kindness. They need to value, well, the human experience. And, and each of us has something to learn this process of growth that you've adopted, right? Because if you, if you marry or date somebody that does not fit that, you will very quickly find out that you're going to lose your regard for them. And if we're talking about, and that's the easiest thing to look at is you look at your close friends and naturally your close friends are going to exemplify your values because if they didn't, they wouldn't be your close friends. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And you did blow my mind again. <laughs> these are, these are the, it was funny because when we, when we ditched the, we didn't ditch, I don't want to say we ditched the academic model because my, my partner is a professor of psychology. He's been in this for 20 years doing clinical psychology, but we ditched the medical model. And we said, there's so much amazing academic research that's being done, but it's never making its way to the actual counseling session, to the actual therapy. And why is that? Well, because a therapist, once they have whatever degree, first, there's no, there's no one degree. It's like, yeah, I can be an LMFT. I can be whatever certification, but once they have that, they don't generally keep up on the, the newest education and you have realms of psychotherapy, which are a lot better. These are doctors of psychotherapy where individually they can do much, much better. And they are far more trained. They keep up, but then you have areas of like couples therapy, which is just too new. And the academic model uses a proofing method that not only takes a long period of time, but it oftentimes doesn't filter its way down to the actual sessions because people just don't know. So instead, most therapists and counselors, which from our studies, we did a study of 75 academic journals, most therapists, counselors, doctors, they're all speaking from scientific advice, meaning like they're using technical words, but giving you advice based on their own anecdotal experiences. And we thought, what if we could take the academics into what we do? And what if we can approach it from a science standpoint, but then break it down in a way that's incredibly simple and practical that people can actually use and implement. And we don't need to go this route of like, you know, academics and we'll, we'll skip that altogether. That's why my, my partner is that 
and we do research in the school, but then we bring that research directly into the actual certification and, and coaching process itself. And so what you have here is like the ability for somebody to be able to speak for an hour, understand some of your, your, your basic values and get a good sense of who you are and be able to guide from that place as opposed to just kind of, oh, so your problem is motivation, huh? Well, let's see if we can find, you know, do you feel like you have some dark days and some this, okay, I think you have depression. I think you need to take this pill, uh, you know, and that's the typical medical model is let's find out the symptoms and let's diagnose and take care of those symptoms. And it's the same for mental health all the way through to, you know, a couple's health in their relationship. Mm. Yeah. We're stuck in this, you know, symptomatic kind of treat, treat how we feel as in treat the symptoms rather than, you know, preventative and getting right down to the, the faulty foundations of like creating the foundations on the rock rather on the sand. Right. We're stuck in this little tiny little spiral of, of, okay, you got to sneeze is a tissue. You got a cut is a bandaid or all that type of stuff rather than like, cool, let's strip it down. Let's go straight dive into it. Let's do the nitty gritty, the, the boring stuff, the hard stuff and figure out what yeah. we need to do to then, yep, yeah, cool. Send you on your way. We're going to fix some humans rather than just like put them on a conveyor belt and then just put them to the back and then just keep going round and round and round. Yeah. The cool thing is that once you start getting into it, you're like, man, it can be challenging, but it's definitely not boring. It's, it's exciting. When you start decoding it, you're like, holy shit. Hmm. I know exactly why when that person did what they did, why it was just like a light switch. I didn't want to be friends with that person anymore. I didn't want to, and I'm not wrong in, in that feeling. Like when you start piecing this together and you, you kind of go, okay, I can explain this. It's exciting because now you know how to better maintain all your existing relationships. You know, like it, how to keep your relationship with yourself better. I mean, how many, this is a, a common one. A couple comes in and they can come in together or individually, right? And uh, I'll speak about one instance. I'm going to speak about a guy who is incredibly depressed and he goes in to see his therapist. And this is a psychotherapist mm -hmm. and he doesn't have the motivation. He doesn't have any of these things. He doesn't have, he's just talking about this life. I just don't feel close to my wife. I don't feel close to anybody. I feel like I don't, I'm not motivated. I get out of bed and, and I, I can, I have to drink so much caffeine and energy drinks that I can't even just like, I'm shaking all day long, but that's the only way I can keep from not falling asleep. And when I'm driving home, I want to turn my car into a, into a pole, but it's crazy because I have kids and why would I want to kill myself? But I don't understand what's going on. And the psychotherapist goes, yeah, you're describing depression. And you're like, no shit, Sherlock. And, but everybody knows that it's depression, right? But then the psychotherapist goes, okay, um, I want you to take this. These are anti-anxiety, anti-depression drugs and come back next week and let's see how you're doing. And it comes back next week. Ah, the symptoms are a little better and, and this is getting a little bit better. Now, the root issue, he's married to somebody who is completely opposed to who he is. He cannot live his values. He cannot do anything in his home without feeling downtrodden. He's, his wife is negative, is consuming, is a full-on narcissist, and he's constantly just trying to make her happy and satisfied. And, and he's fearful of anything he does. If he chooses to go to the gym, she's going to get upset. If he stays home, she's going to get upset. If he, no matter what he does, other than just go and go to work and, and come home and make sure that she has money in her bank account, he is that that's it. That's his function. Now, eventually 
it leads to a breakdown. <laughs> the man chooses to get divorced and to, to, to come and see us. And uh, I'm thinking, well, we'll just fictitiously name him Thomas. Well, Thomas, I'll bet the first minute you got out of that house, you started getting more healthy again. Well, how did you know that? I, I not only knew that, I'll bet that you probably got sick a lot in that home, right? When you were, when you were in that home, in that marriage, were you getting sick quite often? I was catching colds and flus like constantly. Okay. I'll bet you haven't had one day that you've missed that marriage. No. And I feel guilty about it. Okay. So your psychotherapist said that you have depression. You didn't, you put yourself into a toxic marriage and then you stayed there. Mm -hmm. And that was causing each of these problems. So the medical model goes just to keep taking these drugs and maybe the drugs do work. I mean, like a lot of the drugs do actually work. Right. And they are great as a, as a, as a measure when you've done the other steps, but what's happening is that we're not doing the other steps. We're just using the drugs, which they have their purpose, but not before you go and do the other stuff. And so that's what we're trying to help people to do is to understand that just like anything else in your life, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health is deeply rooted in the relationships that you have first with the one that you have with yourself and then next with the people that you surround yourself with. And that's just as important as going to the gym, as eating the right foods, as anything else that we would do for our health. Mm. Again, mind blown. It, it happens all the time, dude. It's, it's wild. It's wild stuff. And it's crazy to think that Unfortunately, in terms of like, um, individual psychotherapy can be pretty decent, but in terms of couples and in terms of understanding relationship dynamics, we have a long, uh, a long way to go and a lot to learn. I mean, the whole, this psychotherapy is an industry and mental health is an industry. We're talking, this stuff was invented. Freud was the first 150 years ago. I mean, how many other industries have been around for thousands of years? You know, you think of an engineer or anything else, and there's that much knowledge, but this is brand new. I mean, we're just barely learning this stuff. And, and so, yeah, there, there's a lot more to figure out. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it all makes sense. You know, if you keep yourself surrounded by those people that do not align, like no wonder you're going to end up developing symptoms, right? Like it's, it's like, if you, if you sit in, I don't know, the cold damp room all the time, like no wonder you're going to develop a cold. It's like, uh, you're sat in a room with mold in it. Like you're going to develop some physical symptoms. Same with it's, mental. Same it's with everything weird, else. right? It's, exactly it's weird that, yeah, it's weird that we don't somehow we still, so many of us still think that mind and body are two separate things. And it's like, no, oh, man. they're not two separate things. If you can watch a movie and it can make you happy or sad, then there is a very real mind body connection, right? Yeah. That's, so I mean, that... relationships do that. Exactly. And that's, you know, this is the whole premise of, of why I like open up these conversations and, and getting, I, I call it from the fringes, you know, cause hopefully now people are like, okay, mental health, physical health. Right. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. You've, you've identified two fucking things on the planet. I was like, life is a gray area. There's so many more things that come into that pot that make, you know, human soup. So we need to pull everything in there, you know, and, and, and relationships is, is a really tricky one to be able to navigate. And I'm just really appreciative of, of people like yourself who who do this for a living, right? And and map it out because it's it's everything that we do. 
You know, yeah. we are social creatures. We're social beings. We don't just spend 24-7 on your own. Yeah, okay, I think people need to spend a lot of time on their own, figure out who they are, all that, core values, all that, no problem. Okay, cool. But for the rest of your life and the majority of your life, you're going to spend interacting with other people. And I think it's a, a really, really fascinating, fascinating thing. Yeah, for sure, dude. I agree with you. And well, the that. more you learn about any one of these things, the more you realize how little you actually know. So the only thing I know is I know so nothing, much. right? Exactly. Yeah, man. There's so much more to go. That's how I live my life. So I end everything, every conversation with three questions, right? And yeah. I'm super pumped to hear what you've got to say on this because you've already blown my mind about 20 times. So <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be another three. So here we go. Um, number one is uh, what's the greatest piece of life advice you've ever received? Oh man, I did a, a recent post on this. If I could go back and tell myself one thing, what would it be? Um, I have four kids and the one thing that I'm trying to instill in them is to be authentically yourself, not for the cliche of it, not for the, you know, oh, this is just advice that, you know, it, it, it's right, but it's important to hear. But for the simple fact that there's no other actually viable option, um, mm be yourself because there's literally no other option. I mean, you can pretend as long as you possibly can. And for some of you, it might last one year or two years or three years, who knows, 10 years, but ultimately it's unsustainable and will obviously eventually lead to a breakdown. So the sooner you can actually live authentically and be yourself, then the less pain you'll be enduring and do it because, well, it's not a matter of if, but when, and how much pain you're going to endure up until that place. So that would be the first one. I think, I think that's why we see such a rise in, in mental health, especially with dudes, because we try and be something that we're not authentically at, you know Definitely. what I mean? Like, you know, when you have that massive spike at like 45, when, when dudes end up going missing because they put themselves in the ground and you're like, well, yeah, because you're not, you weren't playing you and you weren't playing a different character. And this is not a movie, man. This is, this is life. Be you. It happens in, in very subtle ways too. You know, like when we hear be authentically you, we, we might think like, Oh yeah, I am being me, but uh, you know, you could be maintaining relationships with people that because you feel guilty that, you know, if you, if you weren't close friends with them, you, you were close friends in high school and why, why shouldn't you be this now? And, but that's not who you are today, but you go back to be this person that you were because you feel guilty being someone else. You could be made to feel guilty because you want to get divorced and you're staying in this marriage because you believe in God and that God put this thing together. And so you got to stay and, but I'm still living my authentic life, but you're not because you don't believe that you should be there. It could be in our jobs, in our workplace. It could be in simple and stupid social media where you see someone get recognition and likes and clicks. And so you start to do that and copy them, but that's not who you are. You're not creating because you want to create, you're creating because someone else got famous doing it. Mm -hmm. And in each of these instances, you're creating this falsified version of yourself that has no end except for failure. And it's just a matter of how much pain you tolerate to get to that place. So if mm -hmm. there's anything I could tell my kids, it would just be start, you know, don't do anything that's not authentically you starting from when you're young. That's a beautiful thing though, to teach and be taught. And I hope more people get the exact same words of wisdom. Mate. So question two is uh, what's the worst piece of life advice you've ever received? Hmm. 
goodness. There's so many. I mean, I would say personally, the worst piece of advice that I've ever been given was um, no matter what, don't get divorced. You don't get divorced. I thought that was quite possibly the, and, and it comes in many shapes and forms of like, you know, um, you were married in the church. You don't do this. You know, mm. you don't break God's God's marriages. Um, you don't divorce because of your children. You don't divorce, but, but it's every form of absolute of like, don't get divorced. And, and it's not that, you know, you shouldn't try hard to make a marriage work. It's not that you shouldn't, you know, put effort into things. It's not, it's not that it's, it's to say that there's no advice that I've actually, I, I've never heard of a legitimate piece of advice that begins with an absolute. Mm, um, that's powerful. So any absolutes are they're They're usually these generalizations that are made to, in all honestly, they are there to kind of secure someone else's belief in something. Why does my divorce affect the way that you view marriage? It shouldn't. I mean, why does my marriage, why, why does, you know, I, I would get that kind of advice. I, I used to, I grew up religiously. And so I, I got that advice from all over the place, from these different religious leaders and friends and different people that didn't even bother to understand what was happening or what was going on. And how can you give advice, an absolute piece of advice without even knowing an underlying situation or without even having any outside experience? So that one was one that I listened to for quite a while and I didn't live authentically personally until I was in such a bad place that, yeah, it was, it was either, I either stay here and I eventually kill myself or I, I leave and hopefully I can start teaching my children a better way to live. And part of the reason why I created, so 12 week relationships is the first of um, this platform that I created called 12 week university. 12 week university is all the life lessons that I feel like college has missed that I wanted my children to have when they go into their adulthood. So I have another eight years before they are adults and in college. And I want every single 12 week course that covers, you know, 12 week relationships, 12 week business, 12 week marketing, 12 week sales, 12 week, you know, creativity. Hello. Yo, looks like it cut for a second. What's up, boss? Sorry, I think the internet dropped down. Oh, it's all good. We're back. I don't know. I don't know where it cut off. Um, the 12 week university. Yeah, yeah. No, I created 12 week university. So 12 week relationships is the the first of uh these kind of sub platforms under 12 week university. And the goal of it is that each 12 week platform, like 12 week relationships, teaches a critical life concept that I felt university never taught me the traditional school system. I feel like leaves out so many of these important things like, you know, entrepreneurship and business and marketing and, and education and sales and relationships and creativity. And so I wanted to create 12 university as I have the next basically eight, nine years before my children are, are adults 
mm-hmm. to create this platform where all these life lessons were created in a very simple manner and a way that they could easily go through within a three month period and learn things that would, you know, help them for the rest of their lives. Um, but it all basically started with this absolute, uh, don't get divorced. All of this started with that absolute beginning my studies on re- uh, on psychology and everything that I've done. Um, and what I've learned is that, you know, any advice that falls under an absolute is, uh, usually only one thing. It's, it's usually absolutely wrong. I, I love that so much. And I usually say, um, extremes are very dangerous. So be careful. Yeah. Like I, you know, look at it of like political ideologies, for example, you go extreme left, extreme right, but like the very core values of them are pretty, very similar. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, you're arguing from different sides of the room, but what you're doing is pretty identical. And um, it's, it's weird. We try and us as humans, we try and talk about life and live life as black and white. Right. But it's great. It's multicolored. It's, it's organic. It moves, it's changing. It's like, there's so many more things that are involved. And I think, uh, you know, Oh, I'll never do that. It's like, ah, never say never, man. Right yeah. now you wouldn't do it tomorrow. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe not 20 years from now. Who knows? Yeah. We want these, uh, you know, we want these heuristics. Heuristics are these simplifications that help us to make decisions and judgments quicker. We want to, we're instinctually hardwired to just conserve energy, right? So we want the easiest way to any particular place. And the way that that works in, in ideas and ideology and advice and everything is just, it's this way or it's that way. It's either you might, my, I have this uh, post that I wanted to create that my, I can fix every religion with one simple shift in a core value. Stop believing that there's only one right answer. Yeah. 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 If, if every, see religious religion could be a beautiful thing, you know, like it, it teaches so many great life principles. You have community, you have people together and everyone's trying to be something better than they are, which is imperfect. And we're trying to be just a, a slightly better version of that each and every day. And there's, there's a beauty in that, but that beauty is completely lost in this one simple value that our way is the right way, mm. as opposed to there can be more than one right way. Um, and if that one thing were just let go of, then each religion could do what it did best and everyone would choose what was right for them. And you would in one fell swoop, like end the wars and, and all the people that have died in the name of God, because of one simple thing, my way has to be the right way. But it's the same in, like you said, in politics, I mean, in the States, you know, there is no, there is no gray area. There's no room for nuance. If you voted for Trump, you're racist. Uh, and if you voted for Biden, then you're a smart and loving person. And the reality is that that is complete garbage. Like I can't think of anything that is more garbage than that. And faced with two bad choices, we're all trying to make the less bad option, you know, like whatever we think that might be. And so there should be room for nuance in each of these conversations, the way that we live life and each of these ideas. Uh, so when you hear solutions and advice that isn't nuanced then run the other way mm, i would i would agree totally agree not absolutely agree because of the obvious but i would totally agree yeah um final question cool uh what are three words you would tell your younger self three words 
Just three words, huh? Just three words. You can make a sentence out of the three words, but all you get is three. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like five words. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> if I could have, I mean, you could probably figure out a way to make this shorter, but um, do what makes you happy. Mm. Do happy things. Do happy things. Make yeah. you happy. Make you, <laughs> you happy. Can, you can figure out a way to <laughs> yeah. shorten it. Yeah, make it really dumbed down. But do what makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple, right? But that's the entire point. But we don't do what makes us happy. We do what, and that's going back to like living authentically, right? Mm. Um, we, it took me a long time to get to a place. I mean, I, I was 30. I would say that I was 30 before before I started even believing that concept um, of really like honing, I, I, I tried, it was a step-by-step process. And late in my twenties, I started, you know, being more authentic and being me. And, and then in my thirties, I got a little bit closer, but I was 35, 36 when I told my ex-wife I'm done. And I, I moved my stuff out. And that was the first time in my life that uh, I, I was doing what made me happy. And it was a fascinating thing because every piece of advice that I'd ever received up into that place and was wrong. I mean, like not, not every piece, but the absolutes, right. You, you have to think of your children. And I thought, you know, every time someone said that to me, I thought, man, motherfucker, I am thinking of my children. Like, are you, are you think, are, are you dumb? Because every time I would think you need to stay together because of your children, I was sitting there thinking, you know, first of all, um, I spent a lot more time studying psychology than you have, but I'm not going to say that. But in my head was, do you realize that children that grow up in an unhappy marriage have their own set of trauma right there? Like that, that is its own thing. And you're probably an example of that. The fact that you believe that is strange, is odd. And it puts you in a place where you're living a really strange life where you're not doing what makes you happy. You're not being yourself. You're doing what you think other people should have you be doing. Yeah. And, and so it was strange to me when I'd read the studies about children of divorced um, uh, parents and realizing, you know, they did studies that showed children being happy for their parents down the road. Like, um, you know, they did have something to contend with when they were younger. Uh, but as soon as they were able to actually understand the situation, they would actually go back and say, no, mom and dad, I actually am appreciative. I, I wanted you guys to be happy. I would never want you to stay together and be unhappy. As adults, they were saying this. And then to have gone through that and to see my own children, like at one point, um, you know, my, ch- my kids, we have 50, 50 custody. So there's, there's, there's difficult moments where like, I have to drop the kids off and they have a hard time. They, they want to be home with me and with, um, my fiance and, and with this family life that we've created. And sometimes they cry when I drop them off. Um, and they have said, and they're not even like that old. They're the oldest is 11 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. And my son has said to me, I know I'm crying right now because I'm, I'm sad, but I'm sad because we're happy and because we have this amazing life and, and, and I have to be away for a week, um, before I get to come back. And I know that's, what's making me sad. And I, I I didn't even prompt it. And he said, dad, I, this was, um, you've, you made a good decision. And he told my fiance that he goes, I never remembered anything, you know, positive at home when my mom and my dad were married. I only am sad now because 
we're happy. Wow. And I, I was blown away when my fiance told me this and I was like, he's 11 years old and he's piecing all this together for himself. And yet how many of these absolutes are we fed in every arena? Find a stable job. You know, don't, don't get divorced, stay together for the children. You know, uh, every area there's this absolute, you know, don't start a business. It's risky. You know, you don't want to do music. Nobody makes it. And in each instance, it's someone speaking from their own fear and from their own trauma. And in every instance, I just want to say, fuck off, dude, and learn, please, how to actually live your own life and stop listening to everybody. There's, there's your three words, fuck off, dude. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that might be able to be interpreted in many different ways, but yeah, there's yeah. three words. I mean, if they took it out of context, they're, they're not going to know you. You put it in a, such a poetic way, but fuck off dude is a is a beautiful is a beautiful little statement longer no, I, version be happy <laughs> be happy or, i couldn't couldn't agree more brother like that's that's so powerful and hearing that from your 11 year old is is so so powerful and it's it's testament to yourself it's testament to all the individuals in that environment that's created that environment for for them to grow up in mate and for them to for him to come to that at 11 that's incredible hats off yeah, it's it's a, it's a trip, man. And, and my fiance and I, we, we just, we have very simple values. What I've said, you know, we both want to grow. We want to be better, create a positive environment, teach our children how to be strong. Like it's just, there's nothing magical going on. It's just spending time with them and sharing with them your values. And, and it can, life can be incredibly simple when you cut away all the bad advice. Yeah. Yes, it can. And brother, I so appreciate your time, man. That's, that's incredible and I, i've taken so much from this even if not a soul listens in right which i'm sure <laughs> a lot of people will but i'm i'm so appreciative of this mate and i can't wait to see i, I want to read this book but i will be patient for you to uh release it in a year's time but i can't wait to see what you do next plus obviously i'm going to be listening into your uh, bedtime stories when you get on the whole nursery <laughs> rhyme train there you go man well in the, in the meantime we have a. Uh a lot of the the snippets from the book are actually coming onto like our social platforms. And then we also talk about a lot of the concepts. I mean, really our, our entire podcast is talking about the the concepts of what we're developing and, and what we've created and stuff and, and through the book. So mm. the book will be a neat little summary of all of it. Perfect. Perfect. That's the greatest way of doing it, right? Yep. Exactly. Chips and drabs. Exactly. dude. Brother. Thank you so much. All right, Alex. Appreciate you. Have a, have a good day, mate. And if you have a, if you ever want a little bit of a holiday, let me know. All right. Thanks, dude. Come over take here. it easy. All right, mate. Take it easy. Okay. See you, brother.